Our Bible reading comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. And it can be found on the church, in the church Bibles on page 498. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Before this, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put, them, <coughs> put into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? when I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grains, new wine and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, son of Zachar, the son of Mataniah, their assistant because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, Delia. Am I on? Is that okay? Good. So, it's been a bit of a week this week, hasn't it? I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news, but a small decision that was made last year about a certain Christmas party seems to have been all that we've been talking about all week. This week, we had to decide whether we were going to have a party on Monday, and because uh, of the increase in cases, because we've got people in church with COVID, we've cancelled our Christmas party, you'll be pleased to know. So there won't be any news about St. Jude's in a year's time that you have to worry about. But small things we've seen this week, that's just a tiny decision, isn't it? But small stuff matters. And that's, I think, what we're going to learn today from this passage in Nehemiah. That as much as we think it's all about the big stuff, quite often it's the small things that really matter. Remember, we've been looking at this story. Let me just get the slides up, sorry. We've been looking at this story to help us see that, our sto- that this story helps us to live our story within God's great big overarching story. His story that goes over all of history. His story is what we want to connect with. We want to be part of that story. We want to live our lives so that we can be part of God's kingdom coming, part of his work in this world. And as we reach the end of our time looking at Nehemiah, we want to make sure that we see everything that's in here that will equip us and encourage us and help us to live out our lives here in the way that God wants us to, so that we can bring God's glory here to Southsea. And I think the thing that we've seen above everything else in the time that we're living which is so different, is that Nehemiah is a leader with integrity. And Nehemiah lives with integrity all through his time in charge in Jerusalem. He heard about the plight of Jerusalem when he was far away in Persia serving the king Artaxerxes. And he heard of the plight of Jerusalem and he came back. He asked permission, got permission, came back to Jerusalem and the first thing he did was look carefully at what needed to be done. He sized up the problem and made sure that he'd worked out what needed to be done. And then he got everybody involved, everybody to join in with this task because he could see that he couldn't do it on his own. And then the people and Nehemiah faced opposition. At first, it's just threats. Remember, there were threats from the leaders who uh, were out in the land and they didn't want Jerusalem to be rebuilt. At first they were just insults and verbal threats, but then there was the threat of an actual physical assault on the city. And Nehemiah had to remind the people that our God will fight for us. And then they complete the work, the walls are rebuilt, and despite the opposition, despite all that they face, They get the work done and then they read out the law and the law brings the people to confession as we heard last week. And now we get to the end of this story. And in chapter 12 that we didn't have time to read this morning, Nehemiah gets two choirs to climb up onto the city walls and they climb up at the dung gate which is the furthest gate from the temple and the choirs go on opposite directions. One goes anti-clockwise, the other goes clockwise around the tops of the city walls, singing to bless these city walls that they've built, singing to dedicate these city walls to God. And these two choirs, you can imagine it, singing one to the other and 
mimicking and, and, and uh, singing against one another and with one another. They make their way up to the temple and the finale is that the choirs come together and sing to the people from the temple. It's a great vision of God's work being completed. And yet it's not the end of the work that Nehemiah does. Because the next thing that he does is get them back to reading the book. Because they, just like us, are people of the book. We need to read God's word. Because although it has already been read to them, there was still so much for them to learn. There was still more for them to see in God's word that they needed to follow. And they needed to watch out for. So the people read the book and they learn that they need to get right with God. And Nehemiah saw that now the people need to live in a way that honours God. And he gets these uh, little, um, oops, no, there we go. He gets these little reforms sorted out because the small stuff matters. He's built the walls. They are the people of God. He's purified and dedicated. And now he sees that God needs to be honoured and obeyed by his people. The small stuff matters not because God is a picky judge who's always watching us, waiting for us to make a mistake, waiting for us to mess up. The small stuff matters because God wants to protect us from the damage that evil does in our lives. And the way he does that, the way he protects us, is he gives us a plan for how we can live our lives in health and success. He gives us this plan and the big lie that's been told to humanity by the evil one down through the ages is that God doesn't love us and his rules are only there to restrict us. And We should choose how we live. We should choose to live our own way. That rebellion is what's caused so much of the problems of our world. That rebellion against God keeps millions and millions of people in slavery addiction, in poverty, in oppression. How we choose to live shows who we choose to live for. That song was great, wasn't it? We choose to live for you. We choose to worship you. That's what our lives need to be about. It's our way or it's God's way. When I was at theological college, I had a friend who said, it's a bit like this. It's either I did it my way or I did it Yahweh. That was a joke at Theological College. That was as exciting as our life at Theological College got. <laughs> we make up little jokes about how to do this thing. But in the end, what we do shows who we are. How we lead our lives shows us the focus of our lives, doesn't it? And in the end, it's all about Christ in us the hope of glory. Who we become in him tells the deepest tale about who we are. So at this point in the story, Nehemiah sees that it's not enough to have built the walls, to made these physical changes to Jerusalem. He's strengthened the gates, he's purified the temple, but the only way that the city will be fully restored is if the people follow the commands of God. But Nehemiah, at this point, is away visiting his king, Artaxerxes. Nehemiah's gone back to Persia. And in Persia, this 
great empire had two capitals. It was Babylon in the winter and Susa was the city in the summer. Susa was up in the hills, in the mountains, so that it was cooler. They didn't have the heat. So in the summer, they went up to the hills. In the winter, they came back down to Babylon. And probably it was easier to travel in the summer. So Nehemiah has been off to Susa in Persia. And that was a trip of hundreds of miles. It would have taken him several months. And when he gets back from that journey, he sees that the people have drifted. They've drifted away from obeying the Lord their God. And so he comes, Nehemiah comes back to purify all that is tainted by evil. He comes to restore their relationship. And that sounds a bit familiar to me. Once again, Nehemiah has to get to work tidying things up. So the people get together and they exclude from the land some who they've betrayed. A little bit further, some who've betrayed them. A little bit further on in this chapter, they sort out the Sabbath observation again. They want to make sure that they're following all of God's commands. And then they've worked, they find out that some of the people have married foreign wives. And these foreign women are leading them astray. And amongst them who's made that mistake is the son of the high priest. The high priest has allowed his son to marry the daughter of Sambalat, one of the leaders of the opposition against God's people in his land. And so they have to sort this out. Nehemiah kicks out this son of the high priest because Nehemiah sees that the land has to be purified for God. God is holy And his chosen people are chosen to be a light in the world. And for that light to shine brightly, then those people have to be clear of any sin. They have to be clear and live with clear consciences. And then in this passage that we read, there's this brilliant story about Tobiah. And Tobiah is a bit like a pantomime villain. And I think as we're in the pantomime season, I think what we should do, just to make sure everyone's awake, is is hiss and boo whenever I say Tobiah, okay? So Tobiah, Tobiah was the one whose insults had started off the opposition. He said, if a fox climbs up on your wall, surely a fox would cause it to fall down. That was a pretty mean thing to say about their building skills. And then Tobiah and Sambalat paid a prophet to try and get Nehemiah to hide away in the temple to undermine his leadership. And even after that, Tobiah keeps sending many letters to the nobles of Judah. And they, he's still trying to weaken Nehemiah's position. And when Nehemiah gets back from Persia, what does Nehemiah find? Only that this very same Tobiah has been given a room in the temple, one of the storerooms of the house of God. And it's Eliashib, The high priest who's done this. Someone at the very heart of the worshipping community. So Nehemiah is not a bit amused. In fact, he's furious. He throws out all of Tobiah's household goods, all of the things that he would have used to worship idols, all of the vessels that would have been used in pagan rituals. Nehemiah clears the temple of all evil. He restores it when the priests have sold out, and he renews the holiness of the house of God. He comes to the temple, 
He finds it full of evil and he throws out all that's harming its holiness. And surely here we can see an image of Jesus, can't we? Who comes to the temple and finds it full of the money changers and the merchants doing dodgy deals. And Jesus is furious and he drives them out of the temple. Because for Jesus, this mattered. For Nehemiah, this mattered. What we do here in God's house matters. For some people, it might be just small stuff. But the small stuff matters. God's holiness is important. God's holiness is really important in everything that happens. Nehemiah acts with integrity because he sees that God's holiness keeps the infection of evil away. Nehemiah is a leader who knows that. He sees that the small things matter. And we've learned that, haven't we, in this pandemic? That small things matter. Whether we wear a mask or not matters. Whether we wash our hands matters. Whether we choose to follow the restrictions or not, that matters. And the cases either go up or down whether, as to what we do. What we do matters. In this sermon series, we've thought about how to bring glory to God. And we have to see that what we do matters in bringing glory to God. We need to think about what this message says to us today. And I think it says to us today that we need to seek to be a holy people. We need to be a people who live in the obedience of God's light. We need to see that this small stuff does matter and it's important that we live with integrity. Jesus said these words. He said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, they are the ones who love me. Those who love me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. It's not that we are saved by our works. That's not what we're saying here this morning. For we know that we're saved by grace through faith. It's never in the end about what we do that saves us, but what Jesus has done for us that has already accomplished that. But the leaders of the early church were clear about that, this, and we also need to be clear that the way we live matters. James said, Faith without deeds is dead. St. Paul said we need to work out our salvation. We, we're not working for our salvation because Jesus has already done that for us. But we're working out our salvation. And then Peter says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are living stones being built into a spiritual house with Jesus the cornerstone. And Christmas can be a time when we show that we're living in a different way. Christmas can be a time when we make decisions about how we choose to live, that we choose to come to a carol service instead of go to the pub, that we choose to be with those people who are in need, those who are lonely, not just with our friends and family, that we choose to give gifts to the vulnerable, those who might not otherwise receive a gift. These are the choices that we can make in these weeks ahead of us. Will we live differently in a way that shows the world what God wants the world to be like? 
next term, we're focusing on living as disciples of Jesus because we want to be a community that is growing in faith so that our area, so that our city, so that all those around us can see that we are offering hope and sharing God's love. So I want to say now, as we get to the end of this year, before next year starts, make sure that church is in your diary. Don't wait for other things to fill up your diary. Put church in your diary for every Sunday morning because that's where we need to be if we're going to be disciples. We need to be here. We need to be in God's house. We need to be building this house full of living stones. And if we are going to build God's house, the living stones that we need are the people that are all around us to build up God's house. This gift of grace that was given to us was never meant to be just for us to keep hold of. It was meant for us to pass on to those around us. And the best way that we found of doing that here at St. Jude's is by running Alpha courses. They've been the most successful thing about bringing new people, new to faith, into our church. And this pandemic has given people a lot of time to think about the big questions of life. What's the meaning and purpose of their lives? What are they going to do with their lives? And those are the questions that people can come and ask and find answers to at Alpha. So we need, we've seen that we need a bigger plan than just propping up our economy or trying to reduce the destruction and damage that we're doing to the planet. We need an adventure in which to embark on and that adventure, that adventure is following Jesus, obeying his commands. And we can help people find out about this by inviting them to Alpha. Our Alpha course starts on Wednesday the 12th of January at 7 p.m. So let's invite people along. We're never going to make this happen unless we get intentional about it. We've got the invites to hand out, but we need to know who God's going to send us to to invite. So we're going to pause for a moment and we're going to sit in quiet. You might want to just look at the slide for a minute and then I'd ask you to close your eyes and just see who God puts into your mind that might need to be invited to Alpha. So let's close our eyes and perhaps make a ring of fire in our imaginations and then just wait for God to put a face into that ring of fire or for us to see a person stood in that ring of fire. Because we believe that the Lord speaks to us. We believe that he can show us who he is longing to call into his kingdom. And we believe that he can make opportunities for us to invite the people he wants to come to this Alpha course. So hopefully by now you've got a picture of somebody in your head. And it may make you smile that it's somebody you don't want to ask. It may make you relieved that God's finally pointed out that person to you. But let's pray that now that we've seen that face, seen that person, God will create an opportunity for us to meet them and hand them an invitation.
Heavenly Father, be with us as we do this work of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've got the invitations. They're little cards like this. They've got the details on the back. Got a little explanation. If you've seen someone, take one of these cards and just give it to them. And it may be that they'll say no and they'll give it straight back. It may be that they'll um, say, well, perhaps I'll just have to wait and think about it. And you know that they're going to say no anyway and that's just their way of gently saying no. But it may be that they'll say, yes, that's just what I needed. Let's give God a chance to be at work in his world. Let's give God a chance to invite some people to Alpha. Let's give God a chance to share his hope and his love with those around us. So as we celebrate Christmas this year, let's remember who is the cornerstone of our faith. The one who calls us to build his church to become living stones who calls us to be a people of power and a people of praise, who calls us to be the people who follow his way, do his works, share his words, and witness to his name. We have this Jesus. We have Jesus that we want to pass on to the people around us. So let's stand. And as a response, let's sing out our next song that reminds us that Jesus is the cornerstone.